From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you who are checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Those of you who take us with you where you go on your mobile device, your tablet or your cell phone with the Conspiracy Show app, fabulous and free download. Available for both uh, Android and what's the other one? (laughs) If you don't have an Android, you have a... Apple, thank you, thank you. I feel like I'm playing $20,000 Pyramid. <laughs> it's not an Android, it's a cell phone, it's a pass. All right, uh, however and wherever you're checking us out, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Oh, I should mention the podcast, if you haven't already checked out, Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. It drops three days a week. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com my other podcast that I'm very proud of it's the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone so if you love rock and roll and you love true crime unsolved murders uh, the paranormal strange coincidences uh, you name it it's all there the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone and uh, new episodes drop every Wednesday at midnight 12 a.m. Eastern it's part of the Jericho Network as in Chris Jericho of uh, WWE fame in association with Westwood One, and uh, just Google it. That's the best way, but it's available at uh, Apple Podcasts and, and, and Google Play. The Rock and Roll Twice Zone. Check it out. All right, let's talk a little paranormal, shall we? Last week we had a um, another speaker from the uh, Con Paranormal Convention, and tonight we're bringing you another keynote speaker, David Spinks has been researching and investigating the paranormal since 1986 in various aspects due to several experiences he had as a young man. He retired from over a 20-year career in the U.S. military and federal law enforcement in 2011. And since that time, he's investigated the paranormal on a full-time basis and has conducted several hundred investigations during his time researching the supernatural. Dave not only investigates hauntings, he investigates reports of strange creatures as well as UFO encounters. He's investigated some of the most notoriously reported haunted locations in the United States and several in Europe. All of this has led to numerous hair-raising and unnerving encounters, as one might imagine. Recently, Dave purchased the infamous haunted house known as Willow's Weep to further his study of the uh, phenomena Related to hauntings, his sole purpose in investigating the paranormal is to answer some of man's greatest questions. Is there life after death? Are we alone in the universe? Are there unknown creatures walking among us? He believes there is, and that alone is his motivation. Dave has been featured on numerous syndicated radio shows to include Coast to Coast AM, Darkness Radio. He's been seen on the Discovery Network's Destination America's Terror in the Woods TV show. He was also featured in Small Town Monsters, The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear, Paranormal Zone TV, several local news stations, just to name a few. He's often a request, he's requested to be a guest on, uh, at paranormal conferences, and uh, he will be, as I mentioned, participating at the HillCon Paranormal Convention in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. Dave Spinks, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Willow's Weep in Danville, yep. Indiana. Tell us about that. When did you purchase that? Uh, do you still live there? Do you, I mean, do you live there? And when did you purchase that? 
Um, I actually purchased it last summer. I do not live there. I wouldn't recommend anyone to live in that dark location. Really? Yeah. A woman who, uh, the prior owner, who I became friends with after investigating the, the location several times, had so many paranormal experiences there, even to the effect that she thought that it was trying to kill her husband, and she reached out to me and said, look, I'm going to put this place up for sale. And... There's only two people that would want to have this place because I know you guys know how to protect yourselves. And that's a long story short. That's how I became the owner. And so what do you do with the property? Well, I said, what better place to have to study the paranormal? You know, so many other groups have been there and experienced unexplained paranormal events. So I figured, well, why not turn it into my own paranormal lab, if you will, you know, a, a place that myself and other like-minded folks could uh, research and study paranormal happenings, see if we could get one of the small pieces of this gigantic puzzle that we're all searching for answers for. Now, I um, I was mentioning off the top of the show, I was on YouTube recently, and I saw an investigation. I don't know if you were involved at Willow Weeps, and this is in Danville, Indiana. And in the video, uh, there's a, a wheelchair and someone rolls the wheelchair into the middle of the room. The camera's uh, um, focused on it. And there's no one around the wheelchair. And about a minute into the video, the wheelchair starts to roll and roll and turn. Uh, were you involved in that investigation? Have you seen that video? I was not involved in that investigation, and I do not believe I've seen that video personally. I would like to see it. <laughs> but... Yeah, like I said, there's been so many other groups there over the years that have experienced unexplained phenomena, and, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all searching for pieces of that puzzle, and Willow's Weep is a prime location for that type of situation. Well, what's the the history of the house that has led to all of this paranormal activity there? Well, first of all, I mean, this is a topic that we could talk for for literally hours on, but... I'll give you a brief background of the place. It was built in the 1800s. A fascinating thing about this location is that it was actually built in the shape of a cross. Now, that's that's strange enough in its own right. It was rumored that the original builder uh, was into some weird stuff, as one can imagine building a house in the shape of a cross. He was a postman or a postmaster. We don't know for sure. But... He built this place with the intention to funnel energy because in every corner of that house, there are windows. And at one time, there was six different doorways in and out of this place. The house is not very big. It's around 12 to 1,400 square feet. In the original building plans, there was uh, supposed to be a stairwell up to the attic. Well, there was a, a false ceiling that was put in, and there was no stairwell ever put into the attic. Also, there is numerous strange deaths that have been factually, you know, I've got factual information on them, a couple of suicides, at least two, possibly three suicides. The third one I'm still trying to verify. There's all kinds of strange happenings. For instance, um, when Brenda, the last owner, bought the place, she had hired a local uh, man to help her do maintenance work. Well, she sent him under the house to check the pipes. Well, he got under the house in the crawl space, and it's very small. I can barely fit under there on my hands and knees. And, you know, he was crawling around. And there was these strange mounds of dirt in one corner, so he had to push the mound of dirt away uh, away from him to get over to where the, some of the pipes were. As he pushed this mound of dirt away, uh, a bone popped out of the dirt pile. 
and he grabbed it and he started looking at it. And in his own words, and I've got him on interview stating this, that he was uh, sexually attacked by an unseen force. He crawled out of there as fast as he could, got out to Brenda where Brenda was, handed her the bone and said, I'm never going in that place again. That's one instance. There's numerous, numerous instances of people being attacked by something unseen. There's numerous shadow uh, figures reported in, a, in a numerous poltergeist activity reports. Another strange aspect to the house is that in the crawl space, if you picture a cross in your mind, in the center of where that cross would be, directly below it in the crawl space, there's a pit dug. Now, in this pit, there are ashes, as if someone had burnt something in a possibly a ritualistic manner, and around the pit there are large granite blocks in a circular pattern around the outside of the pit. Now, that's very strange. Why would anything like that be under a house? During some renovations to the house for her son, because that's why she bought this place, numerous things had happened. Um, the first day they walked in, a pipe flew that was standing in the, against the wall flew across the room, hitting her son in the head, cutting his head open and putting a large knot on his head. Over the years, numerous people in her family had been attacked in the house. A little niece of hers was probably around three years old, and in the back of the house, there's a big barn. The barn is a newer-type barn, you know, metal building with a cement floor, and they would often have parties, you know, get-togethers in this barn and on the property there. Well, they all saw the little girl waving and pointing at something in the top window of the house, and they all ran over there and said, "What are you? who are you waving at, honey? And they, she said, that little girl up in the window. And they all looked. There's no little girl in the window. And they said, you know, we don't see a little girl. And they said, she's right there. The little niece said, she's right there. And then a few seconds later, she started screaming in pain, and they're like, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, the little girl bit me. And they said, where'd she bite you? And they said, on my cheek. She said, on my cheek. And within minutes, a bite mark, a human bite mark, appeared on the little girl's cheek. Dear Lord. That's another, another instance of something crazy that has, been, that has happened at that house. All right. Well, David, you stay put. We'll come back. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about Willow Weeps. And uh, we'll also talk about the Flatwoods Monster. I know that's a favorite topic of yours. David Spinks, Paranormal Investigator stays with us. He's a featured speaker at Hillcon Paranormal down in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, happening September the 22nd. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. David Spinks is a real boots-on-the-ground kind of paranormal investigator. He has investigated hundreds of hauntings and cryptid sightings, supernatural investigations as well. And again, David will be a keynote speaker at the Hillcon Paranormal Conference, and that is happening in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. And uh, Pennsylvania, that's... Uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia, I think, have to be two of the strangest states in terms of, uh, well, just the, the, the sheer volume of paranormal activity. Are you from Pennsylvania, David? No, I'm a, I'm a West Virginia native. Yeah, West Virginia. All right. So that's yeah. certainly up there on the list. 
Uh, I was actually born in Braxton County, right down the road from where the Flatwoods Monster is. Ah, the Braxton County Monster. All right, well, let's talk about the Flatwoods Monster because, you know, most people, that's overshadowed, of course, by the Mothman. People think of West Virginia, they think of the Mothman from 1966-67. The Flatwood Monster, uh, I mean, that predates Mothman by about a decade. But, yes. But there are a lot of similarities, are there not? In some aspects, yes, as far as the UFO-type sightings, there's a lot of similarities, but still yet there's a lot of differences, too. Mothman went on for many years. You know, the Flatwoods incident was maximum of three to five days uh, of all the events that occurred. Give us the details on the, I guess Braxy is kind of the nickname because it's Braxton County yeah. Monster. <laughs> yeah. The Flatwoods um, Monster. It's been called several names, the Flatwoods Monster, the Braxton County Monster, and the Green Monster and Braxy as a local nickname given to it. My connection with it started as a young man hearing my mom's first cousins speak about how scared they were because they actually went to the school with some of the eyewitnesses that saw, you know, had this experience. And the sheer terror, you know, when I was a young, a real young man, I, hear, I remember them talking when we had family gatherings and, uh, I would sit there and I was fascinated but scared to death at the same time. And they were so scared during this time that they would they didn't even want to walk home from school. And back in those days around here, a lot of people were very poor and they didn't even have plumbing, so they had to use outhouses. And a lot of times, some of my cousins, you know, they refused to go out to the outhouse at night and would often get in trouble because they would actually use the restroom off the front porch. <laughs> so... You know, hearing that growing up as a young man, it fascinated but frightened me as well. In 1952, if you've never heard of this experience and this whole story, there was a mass UFO wave sighting over the east coast of the United States. There was UFOs being reported over the White House by numerous people, so much to the extent that Air Force pilots were put on 24-hour alert and were ordered to chase these things down and shoot them down if necessary. Now, if that doesn't tell you something, you know, there was something real going on. Of course, it was the middle of the Cold War and all that, and everyone was scared that, you know, we would be under attack by the Russians and whatnot. But the speed and the characteristics that these UFOs had far exceeded anything known to man at the time and still do to this day that we know of that's been put in the public, you know, uh, as far as we know that we don't have craft that can perform those type of maneuvers and at those speeds, but you never know there could be top secret black projects, you know, out there by our military. And a lot of the theory is that they're all reverse engineered alien technology. So the Flatwoods monster happened, you know, the sighting happened. A, a bunch of kids were playing football at the local grade school when they witnessed a fiery craft come overhead and make several turns as if it was being controlled by something intelligent. It was not a meteor. It was not anything that could be rationally explained. Well, upon seeing this, this whole group of boys ran up to their house, which this object appeared to land on the Fisher farm, which was right behind their house. So they ran up to tell their mom what they had seen, and they quickly got together, got flashlights, and headed out to approximately where they thought this thing had landed. Well, on their little walk up to the hill, to the field, the Fisher Farm, as it was so-called then, they noticed a really weird mist or fog hanging low over the field. And this mist, 
actually became noxious and they, you know, reported burning eyes, choking and whatnot. And a dog had gone with them and went up ahead. Well, after a few minutes of this, they kept walking and two of the boys in later interviews reported seeing uh, a craft off to the right down over the hill landed. And they walked a little further up this hill in this field and they were shining their flashlights around and one of the boys came face to face with it and he put his flashlight on it and that's when the entire group saw this thing. The dog had already made a beeline back for the house and they couldn't figure out why. Now they knew why because it had seen this creature. They described this creature as 10 to 12 feet tall, sitting under a large oak tree, and they knew it was that tall because they later measured the branch that this thing was standing under, and it was 12 to 14 feet in the air. So being scared out of their wits, they all made a beeline back to the house, and it was widely reported. It made worldwide news. They were interviewed by numerous reporters and writers and law enforcement, newspaper writers, and they were interviewed over many days, and they all had the same story. They never changed it. They were asked to draw pictures in different rooms away from each other. All the drawings are very similar in nature. So it was surmised that they did, in fact, see this thing. They weren't lying, and to this day, the last two remaining witnesses will tell you, you know, they saw what they saw, and... They don't know what it was, but they were ridiculed growing up, and they even kind of went away. They didn't want to talk about it because they were ridiculed by other kids. So it's a fascinating story. It made worldwide news. It was a really big deal, and then the Mothman sighting started happening, and this case got swept under the rug. Right, right. So 10 feet tall and also described as having a round, blood-red face, a large pointed hood-like shape around the face, eye-like shapes which emitted greenish-orange light and a dark mm-hmm. black or green body. Yes. And a lot of people don't know the secondary sighting of this creature was um, encountered by a couple the next day on their way back from a trip to visit relatives. They were from New York, and they had traveled all the way to Ohio and Cincinnati to visit relatives. And they, they had some extra time, so they decided to take the scenic route, if you will, and they came through West Virginia, and they had no clue that all this had gone on. And his name was George Snitowski, and his wife and their infant baby were in the car. Well, they were driving on the route, and the car just quit, and it was about 10 to 12 miles away from the first sighting. The car quit for no apparent reason. George knew that he had checked everything and had a, even had a fairly new battery in the car, and there was no reason for it to just quit like it did. Well, they began smelling the same sulfuric smell that made them sick. After he got out and checked the car, you know, the smell became overwhelming, and the baby was started crying because it was affecting it. And long story short, you know, he uh, while he was checking things, he saw a, a purplish-white glow down over the hill off the bank from the car. So he kind of went over there to inspect what, what was causing this glowing light, and he reported seeing this fairly large orb and he described it like one of the old street lights but much much larger in nature and he was fascinated by this so he started heading towards this thing as he got closer he started having a strange physical effects this thing was affecting him physically he reached out to touch it and when he did he explained it described it as similar to being shocked but like a million needles went in through his whole body 
and he went to the ground, you know, and he was overcome by something. He kind of staggered to his feet, and he, he was becoming more physically ill, even nauseous, throwing up, and he started stumbling back toward the car. Well, he came upon a tree, and he kind of leaned against the tree for a second to regather himself, and that's when he noticed his wife staring back towards him, and she let out the most blood-curdling scream you can imagine, and she was looking past him when she did this. So he turned, and this creature was following him, trailing him. Well, he turned and saw it, and he took every ounce of strength he had, and he stumbled back towards the car, fiddling with the door handle, you know, almost out of control because he was so scared he couldn't manipulate the door handle and get back into the car. So he finally gets in the car, grabs his wife and the baby, and they, and then he reaches up in the glove compartment, grabs his combat knife, and they all huddle down to the floorboard of those old 1950-style cars. You know, they were really big. And after some time went by, he decided he was going to take a peek, so he kind of raised up and looked over the dashboard, and there was that creature standing at the front of the car. And he described it as having a long, spindly arm that came down and was kind of feeling around the hood of the car and the roof of the car, trying to almost as if it was trying to figure out what this car was. Well, after a few moments of doing that, it kind of turned and just glided away. So they both rose out of the floor. They're looking off to where this object and this creature came from when they see the, the circular object rise to what he described as a couple of thousand feet, go into an undulating pendulum-type motion back and forth, back and forth, and then it just burst out of sight in an instant, leaving a weird trail behind it and disappeared. And he only, that, he only did that interview in a now de, uh, defunct men's magazine many years ago, he was asked to be interviewed hundreds of times by other writers and reporters, and he declined them all, saying that, you know, I told that story once. I don't ever want to talk about it again. Hmm. So that was, that was a really fascinating aspect of the Flatwoods Monster story. And uh, perhaps most predictably, uh, it has been dismissed by people like Joe Nickel at the uh, the Center for Skeptical Inquiry. As uh, I think he said, it was a, it was a meteorite. And then what they saw was a, a barn owl. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, nu- numerous people described this thing, this fiery ball coming down, making um, precise turns, if you will. You know, not 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 as if a meteorite would act, but, you know, a meteorite would shoot straight across the sky and either burn up or explode sure. or hit the ground somewhere. Sure. This thing made... Uh, turns, sophisticated turns, and landed in the Fisher Farm field. Didn't someone, didn't they, they found skid marks and some sort of a gummy substance, which may... Yes, um, there was a captain, that's another aspect we'll talk about real quick, if you don't mind. The, yeah. the, the local special forces unit in the West Virginia National Guard was called by D.C. and told to get up there and investigate. The captain in charge at that time divided his men into two groups. His group of men, and the whole group consisted of approximately 50 to 60 men, he divided his unit up, sent half of them down on the Elk River um, to investigate a reported airplane crash. The other group went covertly to the backside of the Fisher Farm and came in on an old logging trail. Um, If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. You know, they don't just call up the whole Special Forces unit. And this this guy, the, the... the CO in charge of this unit, you know, he was in Korea and World War II. He was a very well-known guy. You know, he'd been around the block, and he was in charge of the, the Special Forces Unit in West Virginia. So 
He brought his men in. He discovered uh, an oily-type substance. He was told to collect any specimens he could and send them in, send them back to D.C. post-haste. Um, they also discovered some indentions in the ground where it looked as if something did indeed uh, land there, you know, and, and make marks into the ground. So uh, in a later interview he conducted, he said that he he was asked, you know, what happened what happened with the once you sent in the uh, substance and the, did you get anything back from D.C.? He said, absolutely nothing. I never heard anything back. And he, he was quoted as saying that, uh, to the best of his knowledge, he, he feels like there was definitely a government cover-up because he was never told anything else about what he had sent in or anything. Right. So you, gr- you grew up in uh, near uh, Braxton County, so obviously this... Mm-hmm. This uh, this is in your blood. Uh, yeah. You had your own paranormal encounters at, at an early age. Why don't you tell me about one of those before we uh, yeah, run into the break? What got, you know, other than the stories here and growing up and stuff, uh, what really got me, I was 13 years old, and um, me and my grandfather were fishing. We would always spend time in the summers together and go fishing. And we had this one spot here on the Dolly River that we really liked. You know, we would always do really well fishing. So we packed our gear, headed out to the river or in our favorite area. And we, uh, you know, I was dying, chomping at the bit, wanting to get a line in the water. So as we unpacked our gear, I kept asking my grandpa, can I go ahead and start fishing? And he kept saying, you know, we got to get the gear set up in the tent and everything. And, and I kept on and on. He said, all right, go ahead. And so while I was fishing, he was getting some of the gear set up. Well, I caught a really nice trout, and I had bragging rights, you know, because not only did I catch the the first fish of the day, I caught ended up catching the biggest. So, long story short, on that, we both caught our limit, had our gear set up, and we ate like kings that night, you know. And we were just sitting there right before dark. It was about a half an hour, forty five minutes before dark, just relaxing, looking at the river. Um, when out of nowhere, this huge splash hit the water in the middle of the river. I mean, it was so heavy and big that the water rained down, you know, from this splash. We both jumped up. We we, could, we were trying to search around to see what could have caused that splash. There was nothing in the water, uh, no sign of anything. We thought, well, maybe, you know, a tree, a large tree branch had fallen off and hit the water or, or whatever. But after several minutes of looking, we couldn't figure it out. And my grandpa said, well, maybe, you know, maybe a boulder rolled off the other side of the bank and hit the water. But I knew that couldn't have happened because I seen where the splash was, and it was way out in the middle of the river. And this river was about 75 yards across. But I didn't want to know the truth. You know, I kind of just listened to my grandpa and said, all right, yeah, maybe he's right. Now, the other side of this bank was pretty much vertical. You know, it's a side of the river that humans would not necessarily go because it's just too steep and too rugged. So we sat back down, um, started relaxing, and then out of the corner of my eye, actually first I heard this noise like something breaking through the trees, and out of the corner of my eye I seen something coming through the trees, and I looked in this massive boulder, like bigger than one, bigger of a big enough boulder that a grown man couldn't fit his arm, both arms all the way around the same, come in an upwards direction through the tree limbs and come out in the water and hit the, hit the river again. Well, we both jumped up, and I looked for my grandpa, and he's making a beeline toward the tent, and I know what he's going to do. He's going to grab the shotgun. 
So I'm just standing there just bewildered, not knowing what to do, scared to death. And he comes running back and he yells across the river, you hoodlums knock it off or I'm going to shoot. So in his mind, he's thinking there's people messing with us. <clears throat> well, after just after he said that, this just ungodly how guttural roar, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so hard to describe, but it, it went right through you. Comes from that side of the river. And that's when he picks the shot. You know, it's an old single shot shotgun, so he could shoot across that river and it's not going to even hurt a human. You know, it might pepper somebody. That's about it. So he fires off around and this thing lets off another roar, but we can't see what's making this noise at this time. So after he fires a shot, another shot, he tells me, get to the truck, boy. So I run over there. The truck's kind of angled. So I can, I'm hiding behind the front tire and the quarter panel peeking around the bumper looking in that direction. David, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to leave this as a kind of a cliffhanger. We're heading into a break. When we come back, we'll finish up this story. What was it in the woods that night? David Spinks, my guest, paranormal researcher, featured guest at uh, the upcoming paranormal conference in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, Hillcon, 2018. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Dave Spinks is with us. He's been researching and investigating the paranormal since 1986. After retiring uh, from a, uh, after a 20-year career in the U.S. military and federal law enforcement, he took up uh, paranormal research full-time. He will be a, a featured speaker at Hillcon Paranormal Convention that's happening in uh, uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. And um, he uh, hails from West Virginia. So you were you were regaling us about this rather harrowing incident. You were 13. You were out at a fishing trip with your grandfather, and um, something was howling at you from across the uh, the river in the woods at night. Um, I'm intrigued by this this large boulder uh, that was was um, coming out at you at the, at the. Well, what was that all about? I don't know. You know, um, only thing I could figure was that maybe. It was upset that we were maybe possibly in its territory. It was, you know, trying to ward us off or whatever. It was rolling but, boulders at you. It was, yeah. And you know, if you hear, if you hear other Sasquatch reports, there's a lot of reports of people having large sticks or branches and even rocks thrown at them. It's yes. happened way many, many times. Yeah. But anyway, like I was hiding, and then after several shots. My grandpa comes running towards me, picks me up with one arm, throws me in the truck, and I slam to the other side. He said, we're getting out of here, boy, that's not of God. And he slams the truck into gear and just peels out of there, and I've got my head buried in my hands thinking, oh, my God, we're going to tear the truck apart because he's hitting bottoming out every pothole. This is a rough couple-of-mile road into the off the hardtop into the woods, and... Just, it sounds like stuff's falling off the truck, you know. And I was like, this truck's going to break down and this thing's going to get us, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you got to imagine I'm 13, so I'm scared to death. So we finally make it to the uh, hard top. We drive around for a while, don't say anything. And I could kind of tell my grandpa was gathering his thoughts. And he pulled off the side of the road and he said, you know, son, we better not tell anyone about this because 
They're going to think we're crazy. And he was a Baptist minister after World War II. You know, he wasn't scared of anything. He stormed the beaches at Normandy. He was in the second wave. And the man had been through it all, seen it all, you know. So to see him pretty much scared as well really scared me even more. So we never talked about that that incident and that experience for many, many years. And a couple of years ago, he died. And I, I actually wrote this story in a friend of mine's book series, David Weatherly's Woodknock series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how it came to be. I was on the TV show Terror in the Woods. And now it's these woods are haunted or whatever they're showing. You know, they renamed it, put it on the travel channel. But that's how I told that story. You know, they came to find out about it. And, um, of course, Hollywood fired some of it and whatnot. You know, they added a few things that didn't happen and changed a few things around. But that's TV for you. That's what happened. Sure, but sure. I, so when I, you know, I approached my uncle and I told him I wanted to tell this story. And I told him the whole story and he started laughing and he said, uh, he said, oh, you're talking about that monkey man you and Grandpa seen in the woods. And I was like, what? He told you? And he said, oh, yeah, he came to me like 25 years ago. And he said, I got to get this off my chest in case something happens to me. I want someone else to know what me and David saw in the woods that day. So here I kept it secret all these years. <laughs> and, you know, I, I finally decided I was going to come out and talk about it. And here he had told my uncle about it. So, you know, it was kind of a, a last laugh, if you will, after he passed away and and whatnot. So that's what really started me in my journey on this on this crazy paranormal train I've been on ever since, you know. He described it and, as a monkey man, but did you get a good sight of it? Did you get a look at it? Yeah. Um, right right when I was uh, peeking around the truck, I saw it from about mid-chest level up, and it was just smashing trees and making one hell of a racket, you know, um, knocking these big 60-foot trees around like they were just, you know, weeds of grass, you know, pieces of grass tall grass and uh as my grandpa had shot towards it you know it was really pissed off but it, it started going a, about a 45 degree upward angle up the mountain away from us and that's when we got the heck out of there you know so this thing was massive it had a, a tiny head compared to its body it was i would reckon it would be two grown men across the shoulders up here put together and you knew by the size of this thing it could kill a grown man with no problem Sasquatch or something different? What's that? Was it a Sasquatch or something oh, yeah. entirely different? Yeah, definitely, definitely a Sasquatch because I didn't even know what a Sasquatch was back in those days. And, you know, I started researching it. And back in those days, we didn't have the luxury of the Internet. And I, I came across newspaper articles in the local libraries and, and magazine articles. And I had that's when I first learned about the Patterson-Gimlin film. You know, and I said, hey, you know, other people have seen this thing. I'm not crazy. And that's, you know, it, it was exactly what other people had reported and, and seen themselves. So that's how I knew it was a Bigfoot. We we often hear how, you know, peaceful and tranquil these creatures are. And, and some people even attribute telepathic abilities to them. Uh, yeah. This doesn't sound like that. Listen, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back. David Spinks stays with us. Paranormal investigator, speaker at Hillcon Paranormal, happening September 22nd. Back with more. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Dave Spinks is with us, paranormal investigator. 
We were talking about uh, terror in the woods. This happened when he was 13. A confrontation with a rather hostile Sasquatch. But we always hear how tranquil and peaceful these creatures are. And they just want to be left alone and, and uh, they're more afraid of us than we are of them. I don't know. <laughs> what do you make of that? Uh, well, there's numerous stories out there, Richard, uh, even from the Native Americans that say they kind of have their space in the woods and the Native Americans have their space and they knew not to go over there. And then there's all kinds of other stories from Native Americans where these redheaded giants and whatnot would come and actually kidnap members of the tribe put them in these baskets that they had on their backs that had reverse pointed spikes so you couldn't climb out of the basket and they were cannibals and they would take these tribes members back and actually eat them and you know you there's all kinds of accounts you know uh from these native american tribes such as those that say that these some of these beasts uh were not uh, so tranquil but then there's other reports that you know people have had run-ins with these creatures and never had one problem so i would liken them to kind of like people in a sense if you if that makes sense you know you got some good ones and some bad ones and <laughs> there's all different uh nationality types of these creatures if you will some have uh their own agendas possibly and then there's all kinds of theories that they're interdimensional um because there's many reports of people falling a trackway seeing a bigfoot and the thing going behind a tree and then it disappears right they follow right. the trackway and the tracks just stop and they're gone so you know we don't know exactly what these things are we don't know where they come from and you know it's one of man's greatest questions you know are there unknown creatures walking among us that's why i do what i do i'm trying to find a piece to the puzzle uh, I want to talk about your, some of your paranormal or supernatural investigations, and, and uh, you have sustained a number of injuries uh, during these investigations, and there's some, there's some uh, photos on uh, the website, DaveSpinksParanormalInvestigator.com. Yes. Uh, tell me about, th- there's one, uh, I'm looking at uh, a photograph of you and your, um, your eye. It looks mm-hmm. like a broken blood vessel. Uh, yes. W- what happened there? Well... It was actually uh, right after I had been to a notoriously negative uh, location up in actually Pennsylvania. <laughs> so uh, I actually lived in this place for a month and um, and went back three more times and spent two weeks at a time in this place. Uh, no one had lived there for many years. And I had gotten home and I was sitting there in the in the living room and I actually heard a popping sound like a light bulb popping. Um. So I got up to investigate, checked every light bulb in the house. You know, none were broken. They all worked. And then I started smelling this sulfuric smell, really bad sulfur smell. And and this was in my house. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then my eye, just I had this sharp shooting pain in my eye. And I went to the bathroom thinking there was something in my eye and looked and a blood vessel had exploded in my eye. I never had anything like that happen before or after. Um, don't know if it was paranormal. Can't say a hundred percent, but it's awful coincidental, you know, with the popping sound coming and then the sulfuric smell. And I just came from a really negative, a known negative location. So, um, you know, I have to chalk it up as coincidence, but it leans towards something maybe following me home and then uh, trying to attack me in a, in, a, in a negative type way. 
And uh, there's another photo with a um, on the top of your head. Um, yeah. Kind of a, a, a red, a deep red uh, abrasion of some sort. What caused uh, it's that? It's actually blood. <laughs> um, that that happened at a notorious location in Indiana, uh, an old boarding house, uh, not boarding house, an old brothel. Uh, it was owned by the mob, and it, it had a brothel. And myself and my friend David Weatherly had stayed in this place for five days, and this was the second night there. We were upstairs where the the old rooms were, you know, for the for the prostitutes, and we were in the bathroom up there. And he was running a ghost box, you know, session, asking questions and trying to get responses. Well, I went, I was behind the camera, and I went in there to take a piece of equipment to set on the ground next to him to film to see if we could get any hits on it. Well, as I bent over. I felt this wave of energy hit me, went right through me, knocked me backwards, and I stumbled, and I felt really dizzy. So I wasn't feeling right, and he said, my my buddy David said, what happened? And I said, I don't know. I just felt this wave of energy hit me. And he goes, you better sit down. You don't look right. Well, I sat down behind the camera in the chair, and I kept feeling as if something was touching my head, and I kept going like this. Well, I never hit anything when I stumbled backwards or anything. This was being watched live on our YouTube channel at the time by numerous people that were there from an earlier event. And um, so after several minutes, he started asking the ghost box, he said, you know, what did you do to Dave? And a, a clear as a bell response came across the ghost box in a negative growly voice saying, I hit him. And he said, what did you hit him with? And it said, a shovel, <laughs> just like that, laughing. So it, it kept getting more negative and negative. So he shut the ghost box down. We went downstairs. And I kept, I felt this, that tickling sensation on my head again. So I went like this and I discovered I had a large knot and I was bleeding from the top of my head. And everybody saw it. Numerous people saw this. Numerous people were watching it live when it happened. And it was a really disturbing incident when you realize something has enough power to punch through the other side and it physically affect you. And What's interesting about this location was the very next day, after all the people had left, we were doing another session downstairs, and this this character on the ghost box, he had asked what his name was, and he the, the response was Ian. So he started talking to this Ian character on the ghost box again, and he started kind of provoking him a little bit, saying, well, you like attacking people and this and that, you know. And he then this Ian character responded that he was going to slice David. And David was wearing a long sleeve shirt, thermal, with a T-shirt over top of that because it was in the middle of the winter. It was kind of chilly. And he had it tucked into his pants with a belt on. And then he was on camera the whole time. Ten minutes after this thing said it was going to slice him, he said his back was burning really bad. And he was on camera the whole time. So he, I said, lift up your shirt. And he had three really deep welted scratches from the top of his shoulder all the way down past his belt line and they were just about to the point where he was starting to bleed and this thing had already warned him that it was going to slice him and there's no physical way he could have done that you know reached from here behind himself and scratched all the way down without me seeing or anyone else that was watching the live feed it was it was a phenomenal experience, uh, but also very frightening when you when this you realize something like that can reach through and actually physically harm you. And yet you keep 
you keep uh, putting yourself out there. You seem fearless. Was well, this is this yeah, your, your marine say, your marine uh, training? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, you got to keep trying to get answers, but at times, it's, you know, I often talk about this can be dangerous. And some of these locations, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, people have been attacked, and and you know, I know I know several investigators over my time that have been attacked and their lives changed so dramatically that they had to quit investigating because of this. But you keep going back for more. Is it your Marine training that, that, that allows you <laughs> I'm to? Not a, no, I wasn't a Marine. I, I was in the Air Force. Air Force. Okay. It, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'm seeking my own answers. I've got my own agenda here trying to find a piece of the puzzle. And, um, you know, I'll stop when I, think it's time to stop until then i'm going to keep going <coughs> excuse me what are you going to talk about at hillcon i don't know what they want me to do we've got several we've got a couple of folks that do bigfoot and ufos so i'll probably talk mostly about different uh paranormal happenings in my home state of west virginia i haven't decided exactly yet but um i've got a ton of information on this state I've done tons and tons of investigations here, and I've got several books coming out on those investigations and other hauntings and, and paranormal activity in general in West Virginia. So I'll probably just do a broad, you know, a broad talk about the state and numerous things that have happened here. In all your years of investigating and basically encountering these entities, what do you think you're dealing with? Are they demonic? Are they just restless, earthbound spirits? What do you think is going on? I think there's some of everything, you know, uh, I don't use the word demonic loosely like a lot of these people do. Uh, I think true demonic hauntings are very few and far in between. Um, I do think there's spirits that have unfinished business and they're stuck here for whatever reason. Uh, some probably don't even know they're dead, you know. Um, it just depends on your mindset. You have to have an open mind when you do this type of stuff. Um, you can't change people's minds in two things. That's politics and religion. I don't even try. You know, um, so, you know, there's a lot of different stuff out there. There's a lot of different things going on. And uh, like I said, you know, in my bio, I, it's some of man's greatest questions. I'm hoping to find a little piece of that puzzle someday. If I will, if I do, great. If I don't, I still am fascinated by all of it. And a great uh, a, a photograph on your website at uh, Dave Spinks paranormalinvestigator.com it's a, a shadowy figure squatting down in the right hand corner yes uh, w w tell me just we just we have about a, about a minute here but just tell me where that okay, photo that was, was taken that, that was here in West Virginia it was at an old Coca-Cola bottling plant that uh, uh, a local police officer purchased because his family had run a haunted attraction for many years and it got so big he needed a bigger location well, he called me up one day and told me all these things that were going on in this building. You know, he was he would often write his police reports in his downtime in an office he had in there. And from the time he bought it to the time he called me, he was having unexplained footsteps, uh, voices in the building. When he was the only one in there and there was no access in or out other than through him. So long story short, I went there with a team I used to have and we investigated it. In that particular corner, we were getting a lot of equipment hits, high EMF spikes. And I just took a set of random pictures and there it was. It was, uh, you know, 
the first four pictures, nothing. The fifth picture, something that that was there, and then two more after that, and nothing else was there. Looks like a small, so, looks like some sort of an animal almost squatting down there. Yeah, it's like a blob shadow figure. Like it almost looked like it was. There was a chair in that corner, and almost like it was standing up or sitting down, attempting to in that chair. Got okay. It's really weird. David got really to run, weird. but got to run. But thank you so much for this, David Spinks. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, thank you, Albert, Ian, and Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Good night.